This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Okay. Oh, are you Peter Hotez? I am. Hi. Nice to meet you. How are you? Hey. So why are you not like going to debate uh, RFK on Joe Rogan's podcast? Oh, come on. That's harassing. I'm just, I'm just curious. What? I no, no, nothing I, hostile, just curious. I haven't said anything one way or the other. I mean, are you planning on doing it? Uh, you know, I just he just invited me, so we'll see. And I think you should, though. Uh, well, we'll give it some. We'll give it some. Okay. Thought. Okay. And what do you have to say to people who think they were vaccine injured? Uh, come on. Anything for them? I don't come to my house. I mean, do you have anything to say to people that think? Do you have anything to say to people? Yeah. I mean, do you think vaccine injuries are real, Peter? Peter, it's just a question. Settle the science now. On a safari to go vaccinate more kids. <laughs> you just watched Dr. Peter Hotez get harassed at his own house by a Joe Rogan fan. Now, we're going to explain how things escalated to that point where Joe Rogan fans are actually seeking out Dr. Hotez at his own home to harass him. But first, I do think that some background on Joe Rogan is required. So I think that it's pretty clear to most intelligent people that Joe Rogan is a deeply unserious, stupid person. And let me tell you what I mean by that. If nine out of 10 dentists recommended flossing, Joe Rogan is the type of person who'd seek out the one dentist who says otherwise, platform them to his audience of millions, and then convince his viewers that the majority of dentists are actually lying. And on top of that, they're trying to silence the one dentist who's trying to tell the truth. Now, some people might disagree and say, no, he's not stupid. He knows what he's doing. He's probably just a contrarian or a grifter. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. These conversations that Joe Rogan has with these quack doctors and charlatans, they don't occur in a vacuum and they have real world consequences. For example, hundreds of thousands of COVID deaths could have been prevented between January of 2021 and April of 2022 if those people were simply vaccinated. Now, Joe Rogan has to live with the fact for the rest of his life that he probably encouraged a good portion of his own audience to not take the vaccine, and as a result, they died. Now, knowing that you're partially responsible for preventable deaths is probably a pretty hard pill to swallow. So to shield yourself from guilt, you just you can't admit that you were wrong ever. And that's where I think Joe Rogan is going to be in perpetuity. I don't think that psychologically he can deal with the fact that he was so wrong about something of such major consequence. And the thing is that as dumb as Joe Rogan has always been, he wasn't always this bad. And many people have speculated that COVID broke his brain, right? And I think that that's true. And he kind of confirmed that this is indeed the case in his interview with 2024 presidential candidate RFK Jr. When I had heard of you in the past, before I had read your book and before I'd met you, I had no information on you. But there was this narrative. And this narrative was you were anti-vax and you, were, you believed in pseudoscience and you were kind of loony. I didn't look into it at all. 
I just took it at face value because that's what everybody had said. And in my mind, vaccines have been one of the most important medical advancements in human history, saved countless lives, protected children. And I, I thought very strongly that they were important. I didn't have any information on that either. This was also just a narrative that I've adopted from cursory reading of news articles and, you know, not really getting into the subject at all. <sighs> then the pandemic happens. And that right there is really all you need to know about modern day Joe Rogan. He was correct initially about RFK Jr. Then, as a result of COVID-19 breaking his brain, he grew increasingly conspiratorial and he began to embrace the quacks that he was once rightfully skeptical of. But to make matters worse, Rogan didn't just embrace the quacks and surround himself with his stupidest friends. He also pushed away the few reasonable people who kept him tethered to reality. For example, one of those individuals was Dr. Peter Hotez, who explained how Joe Rogan started to push him away during the COVID-19 pandemic, especially when he began to embrace these anti-vax conspiracy theories. He would have you on because you are a respected, credible voice. And I'm not sure how much he challenged you at that point, but after when COVID began and he started trafficking in some of these conspiracy theories and having doubts and all of that, you contacted Joe via email, via DM on Twitter. You guys had had correspondence before and he never replied to you. Is that correct? Well, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was on twice on, I don't know if it was called the Joe Rogan experience or what, but when back when he was in LA before he moved yeah. to Austin, and, um, and what's that pre-COVID? Well, once was pre-COVID, once was as COVID was was oh. getting underway. Okay. And, um, you know, he could be challenging. And, and you know, there, I, you know, I can't say it was totally smooth, but it was it was reasonable. And I thought it was a very good discussion. Again, how we're making vaccines, you know, out of the out of the pharma sector, doing this nonprofit, making vaccines for the world. And and then afterwards, he came to Houston for his uh, comedy show in the Toyota Center. And and I got I went backstage with my my youngest son and we hung out, had a beer. You know, it was it was fun, you know, and I, I you know, I mean, I even thought of him as sort of a, a friend of sorts. And 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 then when covid really started getting bad i wanted i wrote to him uh, emailed him a couple of times several times in 2021 and then no response and once more in 2022 one to talk about our vaccines and again how we're bypassing the pharma sector and also i was concerned because he was starting to invite some pretty hard-hitting anti-vaccine types on his show and 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 as that delta wave was starting to roll through the south through the southern states and my state of texas you were seeing all these unvaccinated texans and my neighbors losing their lives because they believed the anti-vaccine disinformation and i wanted to come on and you know tell people to get their their vaccines but at that time he didn't respond so when you put all of the pieces together you kind of see the full picture that's how joe rogan became radicalized. He pushed away the smart people, got closer to the dumb people, and the rest is history. But getting to RFK Jr., who is involved in this entire kerfuffle, this is someone who is so unserious that his own family denounced him. But since his last name is Kennedy, and Americans love political dynasties, apparently, despite complaining about them, 
We're supposed to treat this individual as a serious candidate with serious ideas when in actuality he is as dumb as your racist uncle on Facebook. Case in point, here's him telling Jordan Peterson, another dumb fuck by the way, that chemicals in the water are responsible for transing the kids. I think a lot of the problems we see in kids, and particularly boys, it's probably underappreciated um, that uh, how much of that is coming from chemical exposures, including a lot of the sexual dysphoria that we're seeing. Hmm, where have I heard that before? like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Yeah, so he's on par with Alex Jones. He's also against Medicare for All and pro-apartheid, very much so to the point where Cornell West even told him to get off the crack pipe. And Cornell West is one of the nicest people ever, so if he's saying it in such a blunt way, you should really reevaluate your position. You should listen to him. But I honestly don't know if RFK Jr. even believes his own bullshit because he's been an anti-vaxxer for quite some time. Yet, as Lance from the Surfs points out, guests at his party were encouraged to get vaccinated during the pandemic. And also his kids are vaccinated as well. Now, look, he blames his wife for that, which is fair. But I mean, you think that if he genuinely believed that vaccines were as dangerous as he claims they are? as big of a risk as he claims they are, you still wouldn't allow it despite what your wife says. You wouldn't just throw your hands up and say, well, she's the boss sometimes. I mean, if you actually think that this is a danger to your kids' lives, you're just gonna go along with what your wife says, wouldn't you protest at least a little bit more? No, right? So I think that that is evidence that this man doesn't actually believe what he's saying. But getting back to Joe Rogan, he's gotten far worse after COVID, and he basically suspended all skepticism to the point where it's now just comical. For example, RFK Jr. managed to convince him that Wi-Fi causes cancer within like five minutes, literally. Wi-Fi radiation is uh, does all kinds of bad things, including causing cancer. Wi-Fi radiation causes yeah, cancer. Yeah, from your cell phone. I mean, there's cell phone tuner, tumors. Do you do you see anything online of how it could open up your blood-brain barrier? I, I don't know about how, but I... That it does? Found, I mean, I, don't, I found an article. I was trying to find the validity of it, but it has a statement on here. Damage that. the blood-brain barrier. Radiofrequency radiation exposure has been shown to affect the permeability of the blood-brain barrier as well as altering the expression of microRNA within the brain, which researchers state could lead to adverse effects such as neurodegenerative disease. Whoa. How come we don't know that? And there's a doctor that did a study and said that it's been expanded on researchers in China, and there's a published article here, but I was looking around at the page and... They call it leaky brain. The findings were followed by suppression, misinformation, and a shutdown of government-funded yeah. research in the United yeah. States. It's the same as same play. Oh, we got to get rid of Wi-Fi. <laughs> and that's all it took. At this point, I'm convinced that Joe Rogan would literally become a flat earther if he just talked to one. Now, to be very clear, no, there's no evidence that Wi-Fi causes cancer. Okay? But... Because Joe Rogan fact-checked it, he became convinced. Now, therein lies a problem with people who aren't qualified to interpret scientific information, right? So he pulled up a website from the Environmental Health Trust website, which is a website that is ironically associated with RFK Jr. And if you look at this website, it looks convincing. And a lot of these anti-vax websites do. 
they had this veneer of legitimacy because they use technical and medical jargon that most of us aren't qualified to interpret. So if you just look at it at a glance, you know, you might think that what they're saying is legitimate. But even if you have a single expert saying something who is more qualified than you, what ultimately matters is the consensus of experts. But people like Jimmy Dore, for example, will respond by saying, well, look, why can't we question the science? Because you're pushing back against us questioning the science must be evidence that it should be questioned. I mean, science in general should be questioned. That's the way science is. And that's correct, but science should be questioned by other scientists with relevant expertise more specifically, not dipshits online who have a monetary incentive to reaffirm their audience's anti-intellectual beliefs. But Dr. Peter Hotez was harassed because he called out Joe Rogan's interview with RFK Jr. So he shared a Vice News article about Spotify's handling or lack thereof of Joe Rogan's nonstop misinformation when it comes to vaccines, saying Spotify has stopped even sort of trying to stem Joe Rogan's vaccine misinformation. It's really true. And Merlin, this is the author of the article, by the way, just awful. And from all the online attacks I'm receiving after this absurd podcast, it's clear many actually believe this nonsense. Now, I'm assuming that he is referring to attacks that he's receiving because he's one of the main voices speaking out against anti-vax misinformation. But Joe Rogan saw that and responded, saying, Peter, if you claim what RFK Jr. is saying is misinformation, I am offering you $100,000 to the charity of your choice if you're willing to debate him on my show with no time limit. Now, Dr. Hotez responded saying, Joe, you have my cell, my email. I'm always willing to speak with you. Joe Rogan responded to that saying, this is a non-answer. I challenged you publicly because you publicly quote tweeted and agreed with that dog shit vice article. If you're really serious about what you stand for, you now have a massive opportunity for a debate that will reach the largest audience, a discussion like this has ever had. If you think someone else is better qualified, suggest that person. Now, of course, Elon Musk jumped in saying he's afraid of a public debate because he knows he's wrong. And after this exchange, well, Dr. Hotez got a lot of harassment online with one Joe Rogan fan even showing up to his house. And one thing that really stood out to me, which kind of gives you a picture as to how bad things are, was this photograph right here being shared on Twitter with somebody saying basically, well, who would you rather trust when it comes to medical issues. I'm paraphrasing, but they said that, share this picture and then shared a picture of Dr. Hotez. Now, because Dr. Hotez is overweight, there's this implication that he shouldn't be trusted when it comes to medical expertise, but he's the doctor and these two are not doctors. One is an environmental attorney and the other is a podcast host. So yes, you should trust the doctor here when it comes to medical things, especially that are relevant to his specific field. But because people don't know how to properly digest information and have no, you know, media literacy, they just believe somebody who appears legitimate, who says something that kind of confirms their pre-existing biases. And of course, as I stated, that led to a dogpile of Dr. Peter Hotez. And let me just say that Dr. Peter Hotez 
should not debate RFK Jr. No scientist should debate dumb fuck cranks on podcasts because some things just aren't debatable. And subjecting them to a debate for purposes of views and clicks promotes the idea that science isn't settled when indeed it is. It's a propaganda tactic that we've seen again and again, and it's been especially useful when it comes to climate change. I mean, you all know how mainstream media like CNN will bring on Bill Nye to, deba to debate climate, ch climate change with Marsha Blackburn, for example. And even though when you watch that exchange and you see that he's very clearly right and has facts on his side and she's very clearly wrong, well, the implicit assumption, the message that audience members are being primed to believe is that climate change isn't settled science. It is still debatable when that's not the case. So just suggesting that a scientific consensus is up for debate, especially with non-experts like this, that does a disservice to the American public. But to CNN, they only care about ratings. And similarly, Joe Rogan only cares about putting on a good show. And others pointed this out, one of them being Mark Cuban, of all people, who replied saying, way to talk in generalities, Joe, not saying there aren't a lot of fucked up things about pharma. That's why we created costplusdrugs.com. But to ignore that the same industry has saved who knows how many lives is bullshit and you know it. He adds, Joe, you and Elon Musk's Twitter are the mainstream online media and your platforms have become everything supposedly wrong with mainstream media. You are driven by self-interest, just like the mainstream media always has been accused of. And that right there is the crux of the problem with Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, right? And that was a great point about Big Pharma. The conspiracy isn't that they are selling people poison. The conspiracy is that they're creating essential life-saving drugs and then they're hiking up the cost and forcing people to pay it because they know they don't have a choice. That's the conspiracy. I mean, it's to the point where every single person, regardless of how skeptical they may be of Big Pharma, they have to take pharmaceuticals if they want to exist. I mean, have you ever taken a Tylenol because you've had a headache? Well, congratulations, you're a big pharma shill according to the logic of these fucking people. But the point is that there is a large portion of the population that is rightfully disillusioned with mainstream media, right? But rather than filling that void with context and actual facts that are missing from mainstream media, what Joe Rogan does is he perpetuates a different type of propaganda. It's not necessarily pro-corporate propaganda intrinsically, but it is propaganda in a different way. It's skepticism that's turned into conspiracy theories that leaves people less informed than they were if they just stuck to watching mainstream corporate media. And that has real consequences, right? There's, there's a problem with this. It kills people. For example, again, hundreds of thousands of people died when their lives could have been spared if they just got the COVID-19 vaccine. But as Dr. Copeland points out on Twitter, we have comedians like Joe Rogan being seen as experts on science. We are entering a world where antibiotics won't work and pandemics will become yearly events. The erosion of expertise will yield deadly dividends. Now, Carl Bode also made a really great point saying an assortment of wealthy, attention-seeking bullshit artists spent the weekend undermining public health advice for attention and political rat-fucking purposes under the delusion they're ingenious philosophers. Yeah, and those are both really important points. But to Carl Bode's point, you know, that's important specifically because in this online space, people like Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, they are the mainstream. And in a capitalist system, those with the most wealth, they have the loudest voices, right? I mean, there's a reason why transphobia is spreading online because the Daily Wire, they virtually have unlimited funds to spread their bigotry far and wide. 
right? Whereas people like myself, we don't have an advertising budget, right? People like Elon Musk, who owns Twitter, has the capacity to reshape what we see on the platform, control our perception of reality, right? Just by allowing people to purchase blue checks and letting them be boosted in the in the algorithm because of that has given us given us this um uh, this idea that everybody is conspiratorial and they're bigoted. And as a result of all of these people controlling the flow of information online, we've collectively become either dumber or depressed as a result. And people like me who try to push back, we just can't compete. So it feels like we're fighting a losing battle and it just feels hopeless sometimes. But regardless, this is why we have to do what we possibly can. Everything in our power as hopeless as it seems, to uplift the voices of people who are telling the truth that are being drowned out. People like Peter Hotez, for example, who tweeted out a recommendation for his book where he says to understand how the anti-vaccine movement became a well-financed, organized, lethal force during the pandemic and its immediate aftermath, my latest book out soon, The Deadly Rise of Anti-Science, A Scientist's Warning. And I usually don't like to share the books that people are hawking, but in the case of Dr. Peter Hotez, he's actually trying to make a difference in this world, and he is arguing from the standpoint of facts, logic, and reason, which matters. Because the people who are conspiratorial ironically think that they have actual facts, reason, and logic on their side, when in actuality, they've been misled by propaganda and bullshit artists. And I want to encourage people to continue speaking up in the face of loud, well-funded idiots. Even us YouTubers have an incentive to pander to conspiratorial reactionaries who support RFK Jr. and Joe Rogan. Let me show you what I mean by that. So when I did a video a couple of weeks ago shitting on RFK Jr., it was my most disliked video in quite some time, and it wasn't that bad, but only 74.5% of the audience liked it compared to the usual 98% that I receive. And I have a feeling that my video was shared and probably brigaded by these morons. But YouTubers see this and this creates a sort of disincentive to talk about things if you feel like you're going to be attacked or piss off your audience. And this is how audience capture happens, right? Where otherwise normal YouTubers turn into reactionaries by audiences that pressure them to deliver more confirmation bias. It sort of backs them into a corner, and you see a lot of YouTubers succumb to this. Jimmy Dore, Dave Rubin, these are just a couple of examples. But let me be very clear. I refuse to be part of the problem. So if you're a fan of RFK Jr. or if you're an anti-vaxxer who found this video, I encourage you to dislike the video. I encourage you to call me a big pharma shill in the comments. I couldn't give two shits about your temper tantrum. Objective truth matters. Facts matter. And we need more people to speak the truth despite the backlash. But I don't want to make it seem as if everyone in this space is bad faith or a dishonest actor who changed their opinion because of audience capture, because I actually don't think that that's the case with Joe Rogan. I don't think that he changed because of audience capture. I don't know if he is grifting intentionally, but I think that he is just genuinely stupid and couldn't care less about the effect that he has on the world. But regardless if somebody is a grifter or they're just stupid, 
It doesn't really matter. It's a distinction without a difference. Because either way, all of these folks collectively are contributing to the dumb fuckification of American society. And we have to push back as loudly as we possibly can before we devolve further into a full-blown idiocracy. So even if you're going to get dogpiled by kooks and anti-vaxxers for speaking up, you should still encourage yourself to do that. Because if you remain silent in the face of pressure from these dipshits, you're only letting them win. Just last month, killer whales surrounding a boat sailing through the Strait of Gibraltar were met with loud noises, an attempt by the crew to scare them off. The pod rammed the boat continuously for over an hour, managing to remove the rudder. With seawater gushing into the boat, the experienced crew of four issued a mayday call and were eventually towed to shore unharmed. In another recent instance off the coast of Spain, three orcas repeatedly struck a yacht, causing it to sink entirely after Spanish Coast Guards rescued the crew on board. Well, comrades, I'm happy to report some very good news. It seems as if the socialist revolution has finally arrived, but the proletariat isn't rising up and eating the rich. Based orcas, however, are, and you just love to see it. Now, this graph, courtesy of PBS News, includes data from a local network of sailors that reported seven sightings and nine attacks in the month of June alone, just in the Strait of Gibraltar. But this isn't a new phenomenon because, as Gizmodo explains, in early May, three orcas took down the Alboran Champagne, a Swiss yacht sailing through the Strait of Gibraltar. All four people who had been aboard the ship were rescued, but the ship wasn't. It was the third boat that orcas had sunk off the Iberian Peninsula in recent years. Just a few weeks later, the whale struck again, this time targeting another yacht, a 66-foot-long British vessel called the Beauty of Clyde. This boat didn't sink, but was severely damaged, according to the Independent. Both incidents come as part of a string of more than 250 run-ins in which orcas have appeared to willfully attempt to wreck boats in the region dating back to 2020. I'm sorry, but can we just pause for a moment? Orcas are targeting gigantic yachts. They are sinking Swiss yachts named Alborian Champagne. It doesn't get any more pretentious than that. And with these details in mind, how could you not root for them? I, for one, welcome our new Orca overlords, and apparently others do too. Jay Bowie on Twitter tweeted out, Solidarity with my Orca comrades. Now, additionally, Blame Tag writes, Have you guys seen JK Rowling's $19.2 million yacht? And by you guys, I mean Orcas. And people are so stoked about the Orca revolution that they even made a song about the Orcas. Fuck your yacht, bitch. Yeah. I'm mobbing with my squadron. Whoa. Bitch, I'm an Orca, not a motherfucking dolphin. Okay, let's just rein it in a little, okay? I also love the orcas destroying rich people's yachts, but making an entire song about them is a little bit overboard. <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. But in all seriousness, they're not done harassing rich people, and they're now seemingly targeting American oligarchs, because as Gizmodo continues, 
On Sunday, a group of researchers surveying the seas from a plane spotted four whales just south of Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard in an area where orca sightings are exceedingly rare, according to a New York Times report. Elsewhere in New England, a fishing crew noted another orca in Cape Cod Bay near Provincetown, Massachusetts on the same day. But it gets even better because 20 killer whales were spotted off the coast of San Francisco. And I'm going to just assume that they showed up to do reconnaissance against the elites in Silicon Valley. It's the only logical explanation. So it's not just that the orcas have already sunk the yachts for rich people. They are now showing up to locations where we usually don't see them. And I think they're sending a message to these elites elsewhere throughout the world. They're putting them on notice as well, letting them know that their yachts are next. You'll love to see it. Now, you know that the orcas are a true threat to power because American news outlets are already publishing propaganda against them. For example, The Atlantic published a piece by bootlicker Jacob Stern where he claims killer whales are not our friends. Stop rooting for the orcas ramming boats. Now, just stop and think for a moment about how propagandized we are in this society where we're being told that the orcas destroying rich people's boats is not something that we should actively root for. We should be rooting against it. No, I refuse. And the argument that he makes, in my opinion, is downright defamatory, calling these orcas sadistic jerks who, quote, torment seal pups as a hobby. Okay, first of all, do some orcas torment seal pups as a hobby? Sure. But maybe the seal pup deserved it. Seal pups have reportedly attacked human swimmers, so maybe those orcas were defending their human comrades. Second of all, if orcas terrorize seal pups so frequently, shouldn't we be thankful that they're now terrorizing rich people instead? Right? I mean, aren't you happy that humpback whales who oftentimes defend seals and sunfish from orcas are going to now get a little bit of a break? Isn't that a good thing? Shouldn't we be happy that they've decided to direct their ire towards rich people and their yachts? Now, let me just say this article is outright slander, and I refuse to accept such broad generalizations about our cetacean comrades. But on a serious note, the question really is, like, what's going on here? Why are these orcas doing this? Are they actually terrorizing rich people? And the truth is, we really don't know for sure. Maybe the orcas read marks. That's one theory. But marine biologists have a number of hypotheses. For example, Gizmodo continues, perhaps as marine mammal biologist Andrew Trites hypothesized to New York Times, the uptick in orca presence is the result of locally rebounding seal and shark numbers, i.e. more orca food, or perhaps something else is going on, referring specifically to the orcas being sighted around the United States. Maybe, as my colleague Linda Codega has speculated, the whales are organizing. Terrible. Potentially supporting Codega's thesis, the massive pot of killer whales that were partying it up in Monterey Bay, also on Sunday, per a report from The Guardian, about 30 orcas representing 11 different family groups came together off the coast of California to splash, breach, and play. The little ones were wrestling and rolling like a bunch of puppies, Nancy Black, a Marine biologist with Monterey Bay Whale Watch and the California Killer Whale Project told The Guardian. Though the whale's motives remain murky, some researchers have theorized that the boat aggression is a learned behavior originating with a single female orca named White Gladys. Some headlines have framed the attacks as revenge attempts over a boat collision injury White Gladys may have incurred, though not all marine scientists are convinced. So basically, it's unclear why they're doing this, but I, for one, have not seen a single scientist explicitly rule out these socialist revolutionary theories. So, yeah.
take that for what it is. But what is clear, however, is that human socialists have been saying we should eat the rich for years, whereas orca socialists are actually doing it. It's clear which species has actually read Lenin, and I'll leave that there. You know, even though Republicans have made it very clear how they feel about marginalized people, they'll still pander to them from time to time in the off chance that economic conservatives from those groups choose to prioritize their economic interests above their own human dignity. Those people do exist. Dave Rubin is one example. But I think that the Republican Party in these instances are also probably trying to give themselves plausible deniability so that way whenever they're accused of the phobias or the isms, they can point to posts like this to say we're not homophobic but let me tell you what i mean by that specifically so on june 2nd new jersey's gop made this tweet in celebration of pride month the nj gop stands with the lgbtq community in celebrating pride month 2022 but as avery points out isn't it weird that every time a republican party says that republicans aren't homophobic there's hundreds of replies that are like fuck off yes we are homophobic it's very weird indeed. Now, let me show you what they mean by that, because these were some of the responses to that tweet. What is a woman? Leviticus 18.22, thou shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. What a failure of a party. You are all terrible. Job 35.12, Psalms 59.12, Proverbs 16.8, Mark 7.22, just to name a few at GOP. We do not celebrate quote unquote pride in this form or the Romans one manner. This is wickedness and the byproduct of sin. It will be a cold day in hell before we allow our kids to be taught this is normal. Hashtag what is a woman? Nobody likes this shit, man. It's always weird when I see Democrats politicize your sexual choice. Oh, wait, this is a GOP tweet? Weird. Y'all are starting to blend together as a one-party choice. It's laughable that you think we believe this. They get one day. They get one month. Yeah, so as you can see, lots and lots of enthusiasm from the Republican Party's base after they made that tweet. Very, very funny. Now, bit of a side note here. It's so telling that these conservatives who claim to care about veterans don't even know that the entire month of May is literally National Military Appreciation Month. You'd think that if they actually cared about veterans and weren't just cynically using veterans to bash pride that they would know this. But of course, they don't know this. But back to Avery's point, they were correct to point out that the base was quick to shoot down even the most smallest, insignificant attempt to make a superficial appeal to queer people. But that's not all, because yesterday was Juneteenth, and if you logged onto Twitter, you'd see a bunch of conservatives screeching about how this shouldn't be a holiday. Charlie Kirk, for example, tweeted out, you should be working today, not taking today off for a CRT-inspired federal holiday that competes with July 4th. You hear that, Americans? Get back to work. How dare you take a day off to celebrate the literal emancipation of slaves? Get back to the factories. Unbelievable. Now, while right-wing propagandists worked overtime to complain about Juneteenth, the national GOP presumably wanted people to believe that they were actually happy about the emancipation of slaves, and they tweeted out a quote from the GOP chairwoman which read, Juneteenth reminds us all how valuable freedom is and what we can achieve when we appeal to our nation's highest ideals and come together as Americans. And of course, it's very ironic for this party to make that point now, but regardless 
regardless, I think you all know where this is going. Avery shared their old tweet and added this, but replaced homophobic with racist. And they weren't wrong because conservatives also were not very happy about this tweet as well. Really glad to see the GOP working on the important issues as if making a fucking tweet is going to distract them from bashing trans people. Give me a fucking break. Instead of kowtowing to the left, try showing some courage instead. Why? Freedom Day is July 4th, not June 19th. Hashtag woke. Um, I don't think that they realize that not everyone was free at the time of our independence. But I mean, you're woke if you think otherwise. This person adds, celebrating the left's woke national holiday is exhibit A of why the national GOP continues to lose. Just here for the ratio. Thank you, Jenna. Who is running this account? What the actual fuck? My God, sickening. Don't be ridiculous. Meet the new pandering GOP. So lame and pathetic. Get the fuck out of here, middle finger emoji. Traitors, we were better off before. Mm, that's gonna be a very big yikes from me. But I mean, that goes on and on and on but another side note did you notice how most of the replies there are from blue check marks on twitter that's why twitter has gotten so bad because those racist accounts are being boosted by the algorithm since they pay for twitter and as a result that's what you see when you log on to twitter racism white supremacy outright nazism homophobia transphobia that's the effect that elon musk has had on the platform but back to the posts because just to kind of give you an overview as to how triggered the gop's base was over those two tweets here's the ratios for both of them over 1,000 comments to less than 200 likes on the pride post and nearly 800 comments to less than 400 likes on the juneteenth post and it's weird that the gop would make those posts posts, presumably with the intention of seeming inclusive, after their years-long propaganda campaign is actually starting to pay dividends. For example, a new Gallup poll finds that support for same-sex relationships has dropped significantly. 71% of Americans found same-sex relationships morally acceptable in 2022, but as of 2023, that number has dropped by 7 points to 64% overall. Side note, the death penalty also got a 5-point bump in support, so that's also a little bit depressing. But you also see a decline in support for birth control, divorce, and sex between unmarried couples, which is kind of an overall indication that the country is shifting slightly towards social conservatism, although a bit of a caveat, those jumps in those categories are not statistically significant. But the decline in support for same-sex relationships is statistically significant, with Republican support dropping by 15 points since 2022, and even the Democratic Party's support dropping by six points over the year. So this begs the question, if your propaganda campaign is working, why contradict yourself with these inclusive tweets? We all know that you don't mean it and you're just gonna piss off your own base. Now, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure why they do things like this, but I think it probably comes down to, again, them having plausible deniability. If someone accuses the GOP of being racist or homophobic, well, one of their sycophants can point to these inclusive tweets as evidence that they're actually welcoming to everyone. And I think that this is really directed towards the normies more so than the core base. And the reason why I think that this is plausible deniability is because the same thing happened with Trump back in 2016, when I would explain to people conservatives in particular that trump was anti-lgbtq plus they'd show me this picture of trump with a pride flag as evidence that that's not actually true because of course you know all of his anti-lgbtq plus policies matter less than the one time he held up a fucking pride flag but again i'm not totally sure why they do this but 
Keep this in mind whenever you hear someone argue that their base is concerned about kitchen table issues and economic issues, because that's just not true. Their core base is so batshit fucking insane that I think the actual party is scared of them because they want them to be hyper-focused on these woke issues. Now, the party should be afraid of their base because their base is indeed crazy. But they shouldn't be surprised that this is their base because when you spend decades pandering to the most extreme elements in society, there's going to come, uh, come a time eventually when you're not going to be able to satiate their thirst for even more extremism. And it seems like we're kind of at that point right now, does it not? If you're wondering why words like woke or terms like critical race theory suddenly became prominence just out of nowhere, well, that is the power of propaganda. Because when you have mainstream news outlets like Fox News working in tandem with Republican politicians and online outlets like the Daily Wire, for example, they're able to have a very large influence on broader political discourse to the point where they can actually alter our perception of reality and elevate the salience of virtually any issue. But their most recent catchphrase, of course, is groomer which they've been using specifically to describe lgbtq plus people really any and everything lgbtq plus related and even anyone who supports them but what's especially nefarious about their bastardization of that word in particular is that groomer is an important word with real meaning an actual groomer is an adult who cultivates a friendship with a child with the intent to exploit or abuse them sexually and conservatives have conflated that predatory and criminal behavior with any and everything lgbtq plus but their use of the word in this context is very inconsistent some use grooming as a synonym for indoctrination whereas others use it to refer to sexually predatory behavior or sometimes they'll sloppily use both versions interchangeably case in point how do you feel about indoctrination by people that are educators i don't like that at all there's just two diff very different things right. and if you want to tell me that they're the same thing i say you right because they're not because there's a lot of crazy people that wind up being teachers someone said to me that um or read this uh not all you know, the term groomer a lot of people don't like that term online they're very upset yeah, yeah. but they're real right. there are groomers you you don't like it do you not like it because you don't want children to be groomed or do you not like it because it's a pejorative that's used against the left which is i think more likely yeah. but here's what's more important not have people groom your kids but the problem joe is that when you say grooming you really mean indoctrination there which you're also using incorrectly by the way but to conflate grooming with indoctrination that's a problem because you're muddying the waters conservatives have called the declaration of pride month grooming they've also called drag queen story hour grooming they've called family friendly pride events grooming they've even called literal rainbow clothing grooming so in each of these instances, it's unclear which version of grooming they're actually using. Do they think that Drag Queen Story Hour is an attempt to indoctrinate children into the LGBTQ plus lifestyle? Not that that's possible, but is that what they think? Or do they think a drag queen in the presence of children is akin to nudity or porn in the presence of children? You don't know because they've muddied the waters so much to the point where people have been primed to think that any and everything queer related is inappropriate for children. But they don't apply that same standard to straight couples. So if there were two gay men that kissed in front of kids, they would probably call that grooming. But 
would they say the same for a straight couple? Is that not the sexualization of children? Is that, that not inappropriate for children? They have a different set of standards and they are very unclear with the language that they use. And look, this whole think of the kids thing, it's not a new argument, right? The whole think of the kids argument has been used to justify the denial of civil rights for virtually every single marginalized group. The problem, however, is that their supposed concern for kids is cynical. And whenever they use it to justify the denial of human rights to other people, it's always cynical, right? And we know this because if they genuinely cared about kids, LGBTQ plus people in this instance would not be their main focus. Now, let me tell you why that would be the case. A large group of Catholics ironically marched towards the Dodgers Stadium chanting, save our children in response, not to the child sex abuse in their own church, but in response to the LA Dodgers inviting, then disinviting, then finally reinviting the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which is a satirical LGBTQ LGBTQ plus group for those of you who don't know. Now, I feel like I'm stating the obvious, but if these Catholics actually cared about saving the children, why the fuck are they not marching against their own institution? The Attorney General of Illinois released a report detailing actual sexual abuse of 1,900 minors by 450 priests spanning decades. Hey, Catholics, the call is coming from within the house. But it's not just Catholics, because in 2022, Newsweek put together an entire list of pastors charged with child sexual abuse just in the state of Texas alone, and according to a Southern Baptist Convention document, more than 700 Baptist leaders have been accused of child sexual abuse between 2000 and 2009, and stories of their abuse are very common. For example, in June, a Christian missionary was sentenced to 25 years for sexually abusing a preschooler and transmitting an STD to them. Just absolutely monstrous behavior. But they don't talk about this. Where's the Christians and Catholics marching against that? But it's not just Christians and Catholics because the Arizona Supreme Court recently ruled that the Mormon Church can refuse to answer questions or turn over documents under a state law that exempts religious officials from having to report child sex abuse if they learn of the crime during a confessional setting. And this ruling came in response to the Church of Latter-day Saints refusing to turn over disciplinary records of a clergyman who was uh, posting videos of himself abusing his daughters online. I think that the actual law enforcement officials should know how you discipline this individuals, given that this is a crime, and they need to know that the punishment meets the crime, because that is a heinous crime, one of the worst things that you can do to a human being, not to mention your own child. But get this, quote, an Associated Press investigation of clergy privilege shows it exists in 33 states and that the LDS Church often joined by the Catholic Church, Jehovah's Witnesses, and other faiths have successfully lobbied against attempts to reform or eliminate it. In other words, religious organizations have systematically abused children for decades and and they've also lobbied to maintain legal exemptions that let them shield their own from actual criminal repercussions. Clergy privilege is what they're calling it. Yet, conservatives are pointing at LGBTQ plus people as if they're the problem. It's just, it's a sick joke, right? But it's not just religious organizations. I'd be remiss to just 
talk about their abuse because the entire fucking West Virginia State Police Department is currently under investigation for sexual misconduct with dozens of people, including minors, previously in their Junior Trooper Academy program planning to sue them. But nothing that I'm telling you is shocking if you've been paying attention, right? But are conservatives going to yell groomer the next time they see a Blue Lives Matter flag? Are they going to yell groomer at someone wearing a cross? Well, of course not. The reason conservatives hyper-focus on LGBTQ plus people but turn a blind eye to actual instances of systemic child abuse is because they don't actually care about children. They just hate queer people. And also because, let's be real, they probably want to, at least some do, give actual pedophiles a little bit of a pass, create a diversion for them so they can continue abusing children. And it's not unreasonable to think that because... A lot of these conservatives, oftentimes the, one who, the ones who scream the loudest about this, they've made some very suspicious statements themselves. And there's a lot of examples out there. Justin Horowitz of Media Matters put together a massive list of right-wing media figures' history of either defending pedophiles or sexualizing children themselves. And after seeing just a few examples, I can't help but think that they're probably projecting when they talk about so-called groomers in the LGBTQ plus community, because after all, every accusation is a confession, we've learned, right? So it's not unreasonable to think, hmm, maybe they're hiding something by focusing on this and pointing the finger at LGBTQ plus people. But with that being said, here's just a couple of, of examples provided to us within that article. Yeah, I gotta find, I gotta find my 16 year old wife Probably when I turn 30 or something. Because here's the thing. I don't want to be like, let's say I get married to an 18-year-old now. Six-year age difference. When I turn 40, she's going to be 34. Nick made these comments about a 16-year-old woman and a um, 16-year-old wife that he wants a 16-year-old wife. And I think that's normal. That's fair enough, uh, obviously. But we really need to shoot lower than that. I don't think you need to wait till the girl's 16. I think you should have forced child marriage is what I support. Forced child marriage. Um, you can ask the girl if she likes a guy or whatever, and you can take that into account in your decision making but the girl should be forcibly married obviously i'm not promoting quote unquote pedophilia which is a term that gets thrown around which i mean it, it's really a practice of homosexuals but uh gets thrown around at people who talk about so-called underage girls you're hot so i messaged her she's like i'm only 16 i was like give a fuck no about me when the Duggars came out and their son had molested their child, you more or less said that you felt sorry for their parents. Their parents let it continue for a year. You don't know, ma'am. I'm sorry, but let no. me just stop you. No, let me stop you because you're accusing me of supporting child abuse. Yes, I'm going to take you on on that because that hurts my feelings. And it's I'm glad absolutely you know what? It hurts my feelings too well, that somebody you. like you are running for the American public. Ma'am, let me tell you something. You have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know that family, and I do. 
Judge Roy Moore had sexual contact with a 14-year-old girl when he was in his early 30s. Three other women say that Moore also approached them when they were teens. They want to destroy Judge Roy Moore, and you know why? They want to take your voice away. And in the Catholic Church, you have um, you have some cases where, uh, like cases involving Cardinal McCarrick. You hear about Cardinal McCarrick and, and the controversy surrounding him. Now there are accusations that he molested children, so you know that's in that category. But then, but then a lot of the accusations you hear about McCarrick and, and also with other, you know, some of these other things as well. These are, in some cases, he's having sex with seminarians. These are grown men who he allegedly lured into bed and then had sex with. But as a grown man, if you let another man lure you into bed and then you willingly, with no resistance, engage in sex acts with him, does that belong in the same category as the 12-year-old kids who are raped by men twice their size? I think clearly it doesn't. Well, actually, he's not in prison for that. He didn't warn Jeff didn't marry underage girls. No, he, he's, in, he's in prison for facilitation of child rape. Whatever the hell that means. That means he's that... In prison. He's in prison because that, he's weird and unpopular, no. and he has a different <laughs> lifestyle that other people find creepy. No. Um, it's more of a public service announcement than anything else. Uh, at the office this week, we had a situation where one of the techs came across some pictures on a customer's computer that were of the... Um, child pornography variety I, I don't really know if there's any tack way to put that but um, the customer was reported and uh, subsequently arrested I believe uh, as last that I heard uh, and is even more serious however I've never known a tech in my life um, that ever took anything other than like videos or music off computers but the, po the point of this this video is just to remind people that you know as techs um, we read your emails, so to speak. Um, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it happens. Um, so if you have things that you don't want computer text to see, you know, you should delete them or rename them that you don't want text to look at. Um, you know, maybe change the folder name when you take it in if you can. Or, you know, I, I'm not condoning it. I, I don't think it's it's necessarily right. I believe it's an invasion of privacy. But uh, and that's really why you know I don't really do it anymore. But I certainly did back in the day, and you know, I, I there's not a tech in the business out there right now right now that doesn't do it. it. Happens. So if you have these sorts of things, remember that computer techs do uh, look at other things on your computer. It's it's sometimes it's by accident, sometimes it's by curiosity. But just keep in mind when you take things in. Uh, or boredom to get your you know you take your computer and you get it fixed uh, people look around on it and uh, you shouldn't make it real easy for people to find things now that last video by the quartering wasn't actually featured in justin horowitz's compilation uh, but i had to include it because the quartering is another individual who has suggested that queer people are groomers or pedophiles but he right there just gave child predators a little bit of a PSA, as he called it, to hide the child abuse that's on their computers. Counter argument, don't tell them this, let them get caught. It's just, they, they are so despicable, they genuinely don't care. They don't know how hypocritical they sound, how suspicious they look. Now, again, 
those are just a few examples. That video was not an exhaustive list. If you want the full stories, I'll link to that article down below. But I mean, as you saw from those videos, they varied from outright support for child marriage to defending some of these pedophiles. Matt Walsh, for example, tried to minimize the child sexual abuse of a Catholic priest by saying, oh, well, some of his victims were grown men. But why would you feel the need to defend him? I mean, grown men, believe it or not, can be the victims of sexual abuse as well. But why go out of your way to defend him? Furthermore, that conversation that he had with the camera took place within the context of him defending female predators who have sex with teenage boys. So, yeah. But there's more. Ian Miles Chong has repeatedly advocated for the age of consent to be lowered. Turning Point USA recently held their pastor's summit with a registered sex offender. And the list goes on and on and on. So keeping in mind the fact that many conservatives who accuse innocent LGBTQ plus people of being groomers for simply just existing in the presence of a child, they A, never condemn child sex abuse in churches, and B, They've made comments in support or defense of child exploitation themselves. And considering the reality that every accusation is a confession, I think it's safe to say that conservatives, at the very least, aren't the best messengers here. And the question is, why do conservatives want to distract all of us from actual instances of child abuse that's going on in this country? Systematic instances of abuse within institutions that's been a problem for decades. I mean, you can say it's bigotry, sure, that's the large portion of why they're doing this, I think, but at least some of these conservatives, it just seems like maybe they're trying to convince you that queer people are groomers, so nobody suspects them. Regardless, the word groomer has meaning, and it's an important word. And conservatives have either wittingly or unwittingly assisted actual pedophiles by incorrectly applying that word to LGBTQ plus people. So if they actually cared about kids, they would stop and be clear. If you don't like queer people, that's fine. I mean, it's bad and I'll disagree with you and advocate for the rights of marginalized people, but you can just say that you don't think that queer people should be equal without the pretense of, well, I want to protect children. Because that's not a good look coming from you especially. Because the louder that you scream about other people having an issue, that tells us that maybe we should actually be a little bit skeptical of you. So if you hate queer people, just say that. But drop the bullshit because we all know that you don't care about children. Twitter's thin-skinned idiot owner just announced a new policy that once again proves that he never actually cared about freedom of speech. But unfortunately for him, the move this time was so absurd that it blew up in his big stupid face almost immediately. So it started when a bigot with an anti-trans newsletter called Transparency whined on Twitter about being called cis, and unless he's trans, that's just objectively correct, but nevertheless, he writes, Yesterday, after posting a tweet saying that I reject the word cis and don't wish to be called it, I receive a slew of messages from trans activists calling me sissy and telling me that I am cis whether or not I like it. Just imagine if the roles were reversed. You poor thing. It sounds like you've been traumatized. I would definitely say that. You're a victim. He actually unironically just said imagine if the roles were reversed excuse me 
as if trans people aren't dead named and misgendered all the time on this platform. The lack of self-awareness from some of these conservatives is astounding, honestly. But wait, because Elon Musk responded saying repeated targeted harassment against any account will cause the harassing accounts to receive at minimum temporary suspensions. The word cis or cisgender are considered slurs on this platform. I'm sorry, but what? So you mean to tell me that Mr. Free Speech himself is saying you will literally be banned from his platform if you use descriptive words to objectively identify someone who isn't trans? Really? That's all it takes? Cis, for those of you who don't know, literally just means not trans. In the same way that we say straight instead of not gay, we say cis instead of trans. If you're literally bothered by descriptive language, then... Congratulations, you are the biggest snowflake in the world. But keep in mind that on Elon Musk's Twitter, cisgender is a slur. Meanwhile, dead naming and misgendering trans people is A-OK. -okay. Because as LGBTQ Nation reports, Twitter's policy used to state we prohibit targeting others with repeated slurs, tropes, or other content that intends to degrade or reinforce negative or harmful stereotypes about a protected category. This includes targeted misgendering or dead naming of transgender individuals. On April 8th, that final line was removed. Moved. Just imagine if the roles were reversed, they said. Unbelievable. But don't you worry, because this isn't an attempt to stifle freedom of speech, contrary to popular belief, because James responded on Twitter saying, To those who have asked, this is not restricting free speech. I did not request, nor did Elon agree to suspend accounts for using the term cis. He is talking about repeated targeted harassment. What this does is restore parity and common sense. And of course, Elon Musk responded to that by saying, yes. As if none of us noticed him updating Twitter's policies to allow transphobic harassment. Furthermore, he just tweeted about the great conversation he had about Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi, which is pretty interesting considering the fact that Modi has many authoritarian tendencies, and he even suppresses free speech, which Elon Musk claims is very important to him, and that includes the free speech of his critics, and he even pressured Elon Musk to censor criticisms of him on Twitter, and Elon Musk complied. But don't you worry, Elon Musk cares deeply about freedom of speech. It is just ridiculous how these people will say one thing, do something completely different, and then pretend as if we all didn't just see them be openly hypocritical. Now, of course, J.K. Rowling tweeted about this from her castle on Turf Island, justifying Musk's decision, saying, Cis is ideological language signifying belief in the unfalsifiable concept of gender identity. You have a perfect right to believe in unprovable essences that may or may not match the sexed body, but the rest of us have a right to disagree and refuse to adopt your jargon. And Elon Musk responded to that, saying, exactly. It's honestly hilarious how fragile these people are. They couldn't survive a day being trans if they were trans. I mean, imagine getting this bent out of shape because somebody used a descriptive word. <laughs> I just, I can't imagine it. Like imagine if somebody said, hey, Mike, you have dark brown hair. And I responded by saying, how dare you? The color of my hair isn't dark brown. It's not blonde. I mean, it's just, it's so petty and petulant that even if I were deeply offended by a word like cisgender, I would just keep my mouth shut because I don't want to look like a complete imbecile. But these snowflakes can't help themselves. They've got to complain. They've got to whine because they want you all to know that they're the victims and they're triggered. Yeah.
Now, I can't not point out how badly this backfired because this backfired badly. So almost immediately after Elon Musk announced this new policy, guess what happened? Well, of course, cisgender started trending on the platform with thousands and thousands of people either making fun of Elon Musk or calling him cisgender. And this happened immediately after he made this announcement because people wanted to challenge this policy to see if it was actually as ridiculous as he's saying. And as somebody who participated, I have not yet been banned. But Twitter's cisgender owner is, uh, I guess, learning about the Streisand effect in real time. But on a serious note, Gage chimed in with a crucial point saying, using the word cisgender is now a slur and might warrant suspension, but repeated calls for genocide of trans people from countless large accounts are okay. And that is a very important point. Hate speech against trans people has been absolutely genocidal and downright Nazi-esque in many instances since Elon Musk removed those protections for trans people. But what does this cis fuckface do? He introduces a new policy to insulate transphobic people from perceived bigotry. And as of late, Elon Musk really has gone mask off when it comes to trans issues, and he's just gone full-blown fascist, even calling for doctors who provide gender-affirming care for trans youth to be jailed. Now, I think this stems from a grudge that he's holding against his own daughter who came out as trans and wants nothing to do with Elon Musk. As LGBTQ Nation explains, Musk has amped up his public disdain of all things trans since his transgender daughter, 18 at the time, applied for a legal name change in 2022. She cited the reason for the formal request as gender identity and the fact that I no longer live with or wish to be related to my biological father in any way, shape, or form. Musk's outburst came a year to the day news of his daughter's name change request broke. So it's hard to fathom why someone like Elon Musk, who has all the money and influence in the world, would be so obsessed with trans people, but I take it that his daughter being trans probably has something to do with it. And when regular parents reject LGBTQ plus children, that's extremely damaging. Psychologically and materially, some of them get kicked out from their homes, but when a billionaire who controls a massive communication utility like Twitter goes anti-trans and rejects his child, he can do even more damage at the macro level than the average bigot. So it kind of seems like all of these new policy changes is some twisted attempt to get back at his daughter, but we can't prove this, right? This is all just speculation. Either way, it's immature and it's sickening. And Elon Musk truly is a bad person. And I hope that an actual alternative to Twitter emerges soon because this platform really just isn't a safe place for trans people or its allies. But there's another element to this story that I want to explore, and that is Musk's uninformed lies about the person who coined the term. So he also tweeted, the contemptible creep that manufactured the term cis has serious problems, ignore him. Now, Steve Monticelli responded to that saying, beyond disturbing that Elon Musk is promoting a false narrative about who coined the term cisgender, but then again, it's entirely unsurprising that his transphobia has overridden his capacity for differentiating truth and fiction. This person is not the originator of the term. And Steve is correct. The person who actually coined the term is Dana DeFossi, and she wrote an op-ed that was published by the HuffPost back in February, where she explained the origins of this word that she coined back in 1994, and also explained why it's not meant to be offensive despite the fact that so many cisgender people take it as a slur. She writes, It began innocently enough. I was in graduate school and was writing a paper on the health of trans adolescents. I put a post on alt.transgender to ask for views on transphobia and inclusion on the 
campus of the University of Minnesota. I was struggling because there did not seem to be a way to describe people who were not transgender without inescapably couching them in normalcy and making transgender identity automatically the other. I knew that in chemistry, molecules with atoms grouped on the same side are labeled with the Latin prefix cis, while molecules with atoms grouped on the opposite sides are referred to as trans, so cisgender. Although I've not yet experienced personal attacks for being associated with its creation, it is painful when people imply it was intended to hurt others. I never believed that adding the word to the lexicon caused problems. It only revealed them. Whatever the fate of the word, I feel compelled to speak out against the idea that it is hateful. It saddens me to hear that people feel harmed by the word cisgender. Is the creation of the word to blame? No, cisgender is just the straw man. It is easier to attack a word than to address the reasons people feel intimidated by discussions of gender identity. The word is a threat because it linguistically separates biological sex from socially constructed categories of woman and man. That gender as a social construction undermines heteronormativity, critical to defending patriarchal sex roles and procreation. It is not surprising that those who have garnered dominance and privilege from traditional gender roles feel threatened and compelled to lash out. These ideas are not new, but the word cisgender repackages them in a way that is more potent and visceral. Yeah, so this is a classic case of those at the tippy top of the social hierarchy feeling oppressed that others are getting equal rights, right? Nobody's usurping anybody. Trans people are asking for equality and bigots who are denying them equality think that them getting equal rights and equal treatment is them being oppressed. It's a tale as old as time, but I wish that I could read you more from that article, but it's very, very long. It's a really thoughtful piece. I'll link to that down below if you want to read the full thing. But what she says here perfectly explains, in my opinion, the backlash. Words like cisgender prevent bigots from otherizing people who they've already deemed abnormal. And the word cis linguistically makes all people, regardless of gender identity, normal. And that matters because being trans is normal. It's been documented in our species since the dawn of time, so there's no reason why the language should inadvertently suggest that a certain portion of humans are abnormal just because they have a gender identity that isn't as common as the rest of the species. But language constantly changes, and she even mentioned that some LGBTQ plus people aren't even really satisfied with terms like cis and trans because, because it doesn't adequately account for the people that don't fall within the gender binary. And currently, trans is sort of an umbrella term that also encompasses non-binary people too, but it's possible that that language evolves with time as well. So non-binary people are also accounted for in the language that we use. But for right now, cisgender is not a slur. But because transphobes like Elon Musk insist that it is a slur, well, people are going to go out of their way to remind him that he is cisgender because that's just what the internet does. So in closing, Elon Musk is cisgender. That's a fact. Facts don't care about your feelings, Ellen. But he's also a moron and a bigoted piece of shit and a cry bully. And there's so many more descriptive words that I could think of when it comes to Elon Musk, but we'll just end the video there. So we're not here all day. My biggest fear is knowing that they are trapped without the ability of receiving help. This is my biggest fear.
You just heard from Janet Mickelson. She's a friend of billionaire Hamish Harding, who is one of the five rich people that paid $250,000 per person, by the way, to willingly enter an unregulated submarine-like death trap reportedly put together with off-the-shelf parts, all so they could see the Titanic up close and personal, despite warnings from even previous clients who said, this is really not a good idea. For example, the Daily Mail explains, a German adventurer who paid to see the wreck of the Titanic on the missing Titan submarine two years ago has called the voyage a suicide mission. Arthur Loibel, 60, dived down 12,500 feet to the Atlantic wreck site in August of 2021 and says he was incredibly lucky to survive. Speaking to German tabloid Bild, Loibel recalls the first submarine they tried didn't work and a second attempted dive had to be abandoned. He said parts fell off and the mission went into the water five hours late due to electrical problems. Now, I feel like it's pretty obvious that this is not safe just by looking at the craft that they're going in. But if that wasn't enough, well, the owner has basically said explicitly that he's not very concerned with safety. For example, he told CBS journalist David Pogue in 2022 that there was a limit to safety, telling Pogue, you know, at some point, safety is just pure waste. I mean, if you just want to be safe, don't get out of bed. Don't get in your car. Don't do anything. At some point, you're going to take some risk, and it really is a risk-reward question. Now, on top of that, New Republic obtained legal documents exposing how an OceanGate pilot was punished for sounding the alarm about safety concerns. They report, the tourist submersible that went missing while exploring the Titanic wreck was previously the target of safety complaints from an employee of OceanGate, the parent company that owns the sub and runs tourist expeditions of the wreck. The employee complained specifically that the sub was not capable of descending to such extreme depths before he was fired. And in addition to that, another employee reportedly spoke out as well. But regardless, this company still kept offering rides and these rich people kept paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to go on these very dangerous rides. So as a very famous philosopher once said, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Where's the lie? I mean, if you jump out of a plane without a parachute, you should expect you're going to die. If you stick your dick in a toaster, you should expect to be burned. So there are things that you do where the risk is so high that doing them, it doesn't just make you, you know, an uh, adrenaline junkie. It makes you pretty stupid, in my opinion. I know that that sounds crass, but this is what they went down on. That sounded bad, but you get what I'm saying, right? But regardless, even though they were doing this, knowing the risks, the media has been absolutely obsessed with this story, which begs the question, should you care? And I'll put it this way. The son of the billionaire himself doesn't even seem to care. As Mediaite reports, according to the New York Post, Saz posted on Monday via Facebook in a since-deleted status update that while the search was underway, he had decided to still attend the Blink-182 concert for which he had previously purchased tickets. Quote, it might be distasteful being here, but my family would want me to be at the Blink-182 show as it's my favorite band and music helps me in difficult times, Saz wrote, accompanied with a picture of him posing in front of the merch table. Yeah, so it seems like he doesn't really care. And while he was at the concert, I'm sure that this line in particular went really hard. No, not going to say anything else. Not cool, Mike. Anyways, um, as you could probably tell, I'm pretty distraught over the story. And I'm sure that my audience also cares deeply about these rich idiots who decided to enter a death trap all because they were bored. 
I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do with that money, but they chose to enter an underwater coffin just to see the Titanic. It just really, I mean, some people have too much time on their hands. Now, the billionaire Hamish Harding in question, he kind of is seemingly an adrenaline junkie. He's gone into space. He does these kinds of things. So, I mean, even his friend said he knows the risk here, right? So that's why I'm not necessarily too distraught because, again, this comes back to the Ben Shapibo quote, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. But regardless, the media has focused on this story constantly over the course of the last week. And it's interesting how stories like this occupy our collective consciousness while ongoing crises actually get ignored. Nobody talks about them. And I think that this says something about the media's priorities and our priorities as a society, that we care more about this than actual crises hurting regular people. For example, Matt Walsh, who advocates for policies that will literally result in LGBTQ plus people dying, called ambivalence towards the rich people on the subvessel, quote, sick and depraved. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, Matt, I wish that you could trade places with all five of them. So there's that. <laughs> I'm joking, obviously. Uh, but I mean, I bet that Matt's tune would change if you told him that there was just one LGBTQ plus person on board. Then all of a sudden, he'd hope for all of them to die. But I mean, like, this is the response that we get, right? Bootlickers like Matt Walsh cry at the sight of billionaires who put themselves in danger. But when it comes to just normal crises affecting the American people, where's the outrage? Anthropogenic climate change affecting people right now around the globe and just crickets. So that's why it's it's a little bit infuriating to see this story get, get sensationalized to the point that it has been. But I mean, I, I understand it just from a human standpoint why normal people find this story captivating, right? Because this really is one of those worst nightmare situations and it's easy to sympathize with someone in that predicament because you can imagine how terrified you'd be if you were in their position. But the thing about this is you're never going to be in that position. First of all, you're not stupid enough to do that. Well, some of the YouTube commenters might be stupid enough, but most of you watching this aren't stupid enough to do that. And second of all, even if you wanted to do that, you're not rich enough to put yourself in that predicament. But there's other terrifying realities that Americans are facing currently that you should care about more because you yourself could be in the same predicament. As Jessica Burbank put it, Hi, why are we stressed about rich people lost on a joyride in a goddamn submarine? Over 45,000 Americans die annually because they don't have health insurance, so how about we shut the fuck up about the submarine? And she's absolutely correct about that. A pre-pandemic analysis published in The Lancet found that Medicare for All would save 68,000 American lives every single year, and researchers say that that estimate is actually conservative since they didn't account for underinsured people. But since the pandemic, that number has probably increased. And it's reasonable to assume that that is indeed the case, because as Jake Johnson of Common Dreams points out, state figures obtained by the Associated Press show that at least 1.5 million people in roughly two dozen states have been removed from Medicaid since April, when state governments were given a green light by Congress and the Biden administration to resume eligibility checks that were halted during the coronavirus pandemic. Eligibility checks come with paperwork and other requirements that are often confusing and difficult to navigate. The process is made even more difficult by the failure of 
some states to sufficiently inform Medicaid enrollees about the resumption of eligibility checks and the steps they must follow to keep their coverage. And as a result of this, so many people are being unnecessarily harmed right now. This is affecting working class Americans. Where's the outrage for that? Take Florida, for example. A quarter million Floridians have been kicked off Medicaid since March, and in about half of those cases, Common Dreams reports that those people were eligible, but they were removed for procedural reasons. See, this wouldn't be an issue if we had Medicare for all, because healthcare would be free at the point of service, and we wouldn't need to provide proof of insurance or pay up front. We just go to the doctor and get the care that we require. But because we live in this late-stage capitalist hellscape, that isn't the reality. And seeing hundreds of thousands of people in a single state lose their health insurance, it isn't as captivating as the sub story, for example, because it's really difficult to visualize that number because it's just so large, right? When you start looking at numbers like 100,000, 150,000, a million, that's a lot more difficult than just seeing five people in this predicament, right? Psychologically speaking, it's easier to visualize the pain of the rich people on the submarine than it is to visualize how hundreds of thousands of people in one state, mind you, are currently suffering and scared for their lives. But let's make it more familiar. Let's put some faces to these stories. For example, 87-year-old Shirley Harberger lost Medicaid even though she's eligible. And as a result of her losing Medicaid, she hasn't received home visits from her home health aide, which has made her life extremely difficult because as you can imagine, at 87 years old, there's going to be issues with mobility and traveling. And now she lost that, even though she qualifies for it. Also, a Florida mom named Liz Adams was notified that she'd be dropped from Medicaid just one day before her seven-year-old son, whose leukemia went into remission, was scheduled to have a biopsy, which is very, very important, mind you. But now her child cannot get that care. Neither can the rest of her children. These are the tragedies that should terrify all of us and captivate all of us. Because... Most of us are going to be statistically more likely to encounter that than the sub, right? We can all relate to that. That could be a reality for us, but the sub will never be a reality. It's stupid people paying consequences for making a very, very poor decision. So if you personally don't give a shit about rich people who may die as a result of their own stupidity, don't be too hard on yourself because there's far more tragedies going on in this country that media never even thinks about. So if you are worried about tragedies and crises in this country, then think about the ones that are occurring right now and they're by no fault of the folks involved, right? You can choose if you're rich to pay $250,000 to get on a coffin and go underwater to look at the Titanic, but you don't choose if you're poor you don't choose to be poor for one, but you don't choose to just all of a sudden lose the healthcare coverage that your son with leukemia and remission relies on. So that is something that I wish the media would sens sensationalize more because that's actually necessary. It's something that Americans should be concerned about because it affects them. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, 
and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.